Welcome to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast, a podcast all about leadership, change, and personal growth. The goal? To help you lead like never before in your church or in your business. And now, your host, Carrie Newhoff. Well, hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 159 of the podcast. My name is Carrie Newhoff, and I hope our time together today helps you lead like never before. Hey, have you ever noticed like so much of the game that you play in leadership is the game in your head? Um, I mean, I've found that, and I think you're going to love today's guest. He helped us kick this thing off three years ago. He was episode 10, Ron Edmondson, and he's worked in the business space and also in the church space and currently is the pastor of a rapidly growing church in Lexington, Kentucky, one that was stuck a couple years ago, actually. And uh, he is going to talk about seven myths that young leaders face, like just these these things we believe to be true that are not true. And I, I'm just going to go out on a limb and say it's not just young leaders, it's probably all of us. So you're going to love the content of today's episode. And also, I just want to say thank you. I'm, I'm recording this on the week where we just celebrated our third anniversary of the podcast. You guys, like, you are the best. This is why I love doing this podcast. It's because of you. We gave away free Starbucks for a week and also a leadership prize pack of every resource that I've produced. And we'll be announcing the winner of that soon. We haven't got that winner quite yet um, because there's still time in the contest when I'm recording this. You know, I feel like I live in like five different universes, like the one where I record the interview and then when it broadcasts and then also when I do this intro extra and then also when you're going to hear it. I don't know. It's, it's really strange. But anyway, we will announce that soon. I just want to say, you guys... Thank you so much. Thanks for a great celebration. The best is yet to come. Our next celebration comes when, by the way, we hit 5 million downloads. Yeah, which is not that far off. And I got something, well, really kind of fun all planned for that. So... Hey, I also want to let you know that my new course, Breaking 200 Without Breaking You, is open. And if you've ever struggled with like, it's really a course about scale. Like, what do you do? How do you get past the barrier that, frankly, 85% of churches never get past? Not because they're not reaching people. They, they just don't know how to reach more people. And usually, if you're the leader, you're the lid. And I learned as our church grew past 200, 400, 600, even 1,000, that I was the lid every time. And so I kind of walk you through the leadership principles that you and your team need to go through. And if you haven't checked that out yet, it got off to a great start last week. And I would love for you to do that. Just go to breaking200withoutbreakingyou.com. And I just want you to know, I am so passionate about this subject because I just hope that every single church reaches its potential. And I want to help you and your team do exactly that. This is a course that's actually designed not just for senior leaders, but for your whole elder board, your leadership team, because you really can't do this alone. Um, Hey, some of you really are looking to transition your church. You're trying to figure out, okay, we're stuck. Like we're not even growing. How how do we do that? Well, um, a number of years ago, Amplified Church was just about dead. It had shrunk. The average age of the members had, had risen to over 50. And over the last 15 years, there's been a remarkable transformation. And October 24th through 26th in Pittsburgh, um, Amplified Church is going to tell its story and help you transition your church so that it's ready to reach a new generation. It's the Future Forward Conference. And if you haven't registered for it yet, what are you waiting for? You can go to futureforwardconference.com.
gmail.com. And Lee Kreitcher, who was a guest in episode 101 of this podcast, is going to walk you and your team through exactly how to rejuvenate your church, particularly if you're not really leading or reaching young people at this stage. So Lee's done an incredible job. You're going to want to check that out. Go to futureforwardconference.com. And also, really excited about getting you hooked up with the right resources to train your volunteers. I mean, we've just onboarded another hundred and some odd volunteers at our church. You may be recruiting a dozen or, or even think about your existing volunteers. How well trained are they? And you know what? If you're honest, when I talk to most leaders, they shudder when they think about that. Like, do they know your mission? Do they know your vision? Do they even know the basic safety of how to care for things? Well, one solution that is helping hundreds of churches is trainedup.church. They've stepped into the gap that most church leaders don't know how to fill, which is simply, how do we get all the volunteers in the room? Oh my goodness, I don't have the bandwidth to do all the training. Well, they've actually uploaded like dozens of new videos. And next month in October, hundreds of like leaders leadership videos, training videos. It's a media library right there for your volunteers. And they don't have to come to the church to train. They just go online to trainedup.church to your unique entry port as a church. And uh, they can do it like an online course. It's pretty amazing, actually. And here's what's happening this month is they would love to book a free demonstration for you. Maybe you're like, oh, our church is too small or our church is too big or whatever. Well, just go to trainedup.church, book a free trial, a free demonstration, and tell them I sent you. They'd love to be able to do that. So head on over to trainedup.church to do that right now. Well, I'm going to jump into the conversation with Ron Edmondson. And once again, I just I just want to end on a note of gratitude. You guys are the best. Thanks for the ratings, reviews, sharing this. I think you're going to love this episode, not just for young leaders, but, but for all leaders, because you know what? We all bump up against myths, don't we? So here is my conversation with Ron Edmondson. Well, Ron, you're a veteran of the podcast, episode 10, back in the day. You helped us get this whole thing started. Thank you. That's hard to believe. And you've actually got listeners now, right? I know. I know. <laughs> Nobody was listening back then. and uh, No, they've been listening to you since day one. You've done a great job. You really have. Oh, thanks. And you were telling me you're starting your own podcast soon. Well, we're talking about it. So uh, no launch date yet, but we're certainly thinking this fall we want to do something to roll it out. You know how you just kind of get stale and you need to do something different to, oh, to introduce yourself? Yes, I do. Yeah. <laughs> and I always feel bored. I don't know why. I'm just finishing a book and then, you know, I was working on that all day and publisher's proposals and I'm like, oh, I need to do something fresh because absolutely. You know, what's always, next? Always on to what's next and what's new. So That's speaking exactly of which, right. I'm excited about your podcast, um, but really excited about where you are in Kentucky. You've been at, uh, you really took an old church and we talked about that. Um, they were what plateaued for years at a thousand or so. And give us, right. give us a quick update. And then we're going to talk about leadership myths because I don't think anyone's better at that than you are. So tell me all about it. Well, yeah, we, this is a hundred plus year old church and it had just gone through a hard season. So it, uh, had, had kind of plateaued was actually in decline, uh, when mm. we came and, uh, you know, we've been here five years this summer, which is That's amazing incredible. Yeah, and have just seen God doing crazy incredible things. And we're just about to, uh, we, when this actually airs, it will be public knowledge, but we are launching another service uh, this fall. In addition, we are uh, have, have been entertaining um, a, a second campus, uh, actually partnering with another church that needs mm-hmm. to be kind of re-energized and, and revitalized. And so 
Um, we've got a lot going on right now, and God has just been so faithful. You really do. And, and I mean, it was a thousand when you came. You're adding a campus, you're adding a whole new service. How many now? You say you're maxed out on Sunday morning. We're maxed so, out, and we have been for some time, about 18 hmm. months. We've been maxed out at about 2,700 on a Sunday. But uh, so we just don't have any more space here. And we spent the last 18 months really evaluating who we were, where we were going, and trying to improve in a few key areas before we went to the next level. Before we added any more people, we really wanted to grow up internally. And so yeah. that's, that's what we've been working on. And so now I think our church is just ready to go. They're ready to take it to that next level. Uh, I mean, you know, I don't like to throw out numbers of where we might be because that's all God. But at the same time, we think we'll be hitting three and beyond, you know, very, very quickly this fall. And so we're excited about those next steps and seeing what God does there. Well, if anybody knows something about leadership, Moran, I think it would be you. You've been blogging for years. You're telling me you had a podcast before there were any listeners to podcasts a hundred <laughs> years ago, back in the uh, the early two thousands. But dial you know, <laughs> yeah, dial up days. Um, but you know what's kind of cool is, I mean, you see this with certain leaders, and I've seen this in the time that we've tracked together and, and looking back on you know what you've done. But whether that was in the business space or at other churches you've been a part of. Um, things around you tend to grow and they tend to flourish. So I'm really excited. I've, I've been bugging you for years to, Ron, you need to write a book. You need to write a book. You remember those conversations. Yeah, I know I'm absolutely. not alone. So you did it. You wrote a brand new book. I Good did. for you. And it wasn't as hard as I thought it was going to be. You oh, know? really? I mean, no, I mean, I really expected, I, I, I just didn't think I could do that. I didn't think I had that much information in me because I write blog posts that are short. And mm-hmm. I, I'm a, I'm a, three point, uh, seven point guy and I'm done, you know, and, and I, I live most of my life that way. I said what I had to say and then I go on to something else. And so I just didn't think, okay, 50,000 words. I don't have that in me. And, but as I, as you sit down and you start fleshing it out with the stories and the applications and the, you know, putting the points to it, it just, it, it, it just came, you know, and I, sometimes I think, um, and I think God does that too. And I've seen it in church planting. I think we saw it here when we came into a revitalization. I think there's sometimes a bent up Holy Spirit, you know, and mm-hmm. you just got to go into that space and release it. And I think that was some of what happened. So if I wrote another book, it'd probably be very, very difficult. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I had that same thought. I just finished my fourth book. And it's the first one with a major publisher, and I, I did, I think it's at 60,000 words now. And I'm like, I don't know whether I have more words in me for the next one, but it was a two-book yeah. contract, so I better. Um, you better. Yeah, yeah right. I better. I better, you know. Well, I've got the fall for the uh, words to replenish and the well to refill. And then go. I'll be at it again next year. This time next year, I'll have a fifth book, uh, hopefully awesome. by the grace of God done. But yours is called uh, The Leadership Myth, right? Or The Mythical Myth- Leader. Sorry. Mythical Leader. Yeah, that's I don't right. know why I put Leadership Myth in my I notes, keep calling but The it Mythical the Leader. I, I keep calling it the wrong thing, too. So you can call it whatever you want. Did it's you about- go through 15 titles, like all these different <laughs> yeah. titles? We did. We did. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm working on the subtitles, so I don't even know what to call my book. But anyway... Um, so yeah, the mythical leader, which is, which is great. And you, you walk through seven myths that I guess you probably encountered as a leader. You talk about it when you were a young leader, you know, whether that was a job you had as a teenager or starting out in your early twenties. And 
I think I know there's thousands, tens of thousands, actually, of young leaders listening to this podcast, yeah. both in the business space and in the church space. So I just want to go through, because Ron, you've been, what, in leadership positions now for three or four decades, and you yes. get a lot of accumulated experience. You're still leading the charge in an incredible way at your church right now. And so let's just tackle them one by one. So myth number one is simply this idea that a position will make me a leader. Now, I remember reading John Maxwell's Five um, Levels of Leadership, which is a great book. And he basically called this the lowest or the basest level of leadership, right? This mm-hmm. idea that I got a title, I got a desk. Sure. Uh, that makes me a leader, right? Wrong. Right. Absolutely. And, you know, it's it, it, you talk about younger leaders, and, and this is really where I think one of the my heart is, and I know your heart is too, and so I deal mm-hmm. with a lot of young leaders, a lot of, of first-time leaders or new leaders, in, especially in the church space, and I, and I love it. I mean, it, it fuels me to invest in them, but I've seen it, and, and when we open the book, I tell a story of how that happened in my life uh, the f- first time I was really a paid leader of, of assuming that people are just naturally going to follow because I have this title. And, uh, but that, you know, that people will work for me because we're giving them a paycheck and that Mm -hmm. used to work perhaps, but it doesn't, that doesn't even work anymore. You know, younger leaders today will leave if, if, uh, if they don't want to follow somebody. And so, uh, it, it simply is not enough to just have a title and Carrie, this plays out at every little, every level throughout our leadership career. Uh, we are a, uh, lead church in, in a church planting movement in the city of Chicago. And, and we have a, I have a title there, you know, mm. but that means nothing when I come to the table, you yeah. know, I've got to earn respect and, and get people on board. It's just not enough to have the title. Yeah. And, you know, you say in the book, cause, uh, I, I resonated with that, that when you were younger, it was just, well, your boss was your boss and you listen and you pay right. attention and you obey. And I mean, I was raised in that kind of a house. Those were the values sure. of my parents. And, sure. you know, if the boss said you're going to scrub toilets for the day, it would just be like, yep, that's what I do. And I better do a good job. But you're saying right. that that is, and I would agree that's no longer true. It, it's not. And I, I see it and, and, you know, we can argue whether that's a good thing or not. But I even see it in my two young adult sons who are very respectful and hardworking, and I'm very proud of them. They sure. are off; they've been off my payroll a long time. But I would, I would see that uh, very much in them. You know that I'm not going to mm-hmm. stick this out if I don't believe in what I'm doing. And and there's a part of that that I I, I kind of wish I had when I was younger. You know, <laughs> yeah, that's right. You're not going to tell me what to do. You know, I, 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 you and I both blog, and if you haven't checked out Ron's blog, you really should. It's just ronedmondson.com. And Ron, you you say, uh, or I said, I think in, in one of my posts, and I think I've heard you say this, that there are younger millennial leaders, and my theory is simply this, that young leaders work for themselves, they don't work for you. So you've mm-hmm. got a large staff at your mm-hmm. church, you've had large staffs before, um, do you see that trend that millennials like under 40s, they tend to say, I really work for myself on my own brand. Some even have their own brand. And it's just I'm lending myself to you, whether that's in contract or employee form. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, the, the way that plays out and we just had it just just last week. And this is I won't tell you whom it is because mm. it's it's confidential. But we just had uh, I've had numbers of them who come to me long before they leave our employment and tell me they're leaving. 
that Ooh. never happened in the future. In the, oh, in no, the you wouldn't tell your boss back in the yeah. day, hey, I'm thinking of leaving. But now they're yeah. often six month or 12 month conversations, oh, yeah. right? Yeah. And, and uh, you know, you've got to have that level. They've got to trust you and have that level of respect for you and that sort of thing. And I'm, I think I have, you know, that with these. But we walked through those seasons together. And so we've done that a number of times in the last few years where we've walked through six months, like you said, six months or a year with with a young person and even their spouse and say, okay, what would the next step look like for you? And where would you want to live? And where would you go? And those sort of things. But they come at it through this, with this approach that this is my life. And I'm, as you said, I'm letting you be a part of it. And uh, Mm -hmm. that gives them that freedom to be very open and honest with you about where they are. And Hey, I don't see myself being here much longer. It's somewhat, somewhat refreshing. It is refreshing. One of, one of the questions I get a lot is from leaders who say, how do I gain influence? You know, I look at where I am on the org chart. I barely show up. Um, I don't, I'm not really the senior leader. How, how, definitely not the senior leader. How do I gain influence with somebody like you? Well, I think, you know, starting with the, uh, I always tell young leaders first, we just talked about the position doesn't make me a leader, but recognize that there is, I do have a position, you know, mm. and coming at it from a respect standpoint that, that I, I really value the fact that you're in the position you're in and I want to learn from you and I want to, to glean from, from you. And if you come at it with that, rather than an attitude of you, I, as we just said, yeah. you owe me something because I've given you part of my time, then I'm so much more likely to want to, to, to hear what you have to say and, and, and value what you have to say. Uh, just as on their end, it's more relational, it's on our end too. And if you, if you want to influence me, then build a relationship with me. Work to build that relationship, and you'll have my ear all you want, because I love young leaders. I mean, yeah. I, I genuinely do. And if, and if you run into somebody who doesn't, that you can't build that kind of relationship with, you probably never will be, you know, mm. never be to. Because that's more in them than it is in you. Uh, I think most people carry when they get to our age and our st- stage of life. Um, most people that we know value investing in that next generation. That we see that is that's a legacy building thing at that point. That that allows us to leave something behind besides you know just what we've done. And and so I, I I don't know many people our age that wouldn't welcome that if it's if they come to you with the right uh, approach. Hmm. Okay, myth number two. I'm not hearing anybody complain, so everybody's happy, right? <laughs> uh, yeah, man, I've made that mistake before. And, have you? Uh, oh, I sure have. And you know, just assuming that that silence meant agreement, and it is. Um, is just so not the case. And thankfully, I think I learned that early before I came here. Um, and, and that's been critical because one of the things with an established church that I've learned is, is a, there's a, a built up passive aggressive culture out there. And so a lot of people are, are, you know, they know there's a problem before I do type thing. And so I, I just have to keep my pulse to the ground a lot, a lot closer. And also uh, ask a lot of questions uh, to see what the real pulse of things uh, is, and um, but man, that's um, that's a big one, especially in the culture that I'm in right now. Is uh, is knowing that just because they're not saying anything doesn't mean they're they're in agreement. 
Yeah, that's a, that's a fascinating principle that silence is not agreement. Because I think most leaders intuitively would think, well, my inbox, you know, I'm not hearing a whole lot. People aren't pigeonholing me on a Sunday or in the hallway or at the water cooler complaining. And so as a result, everything's good, right? So what is going on when what you hear is silence? Yeah. Well, a lot of times they're, uh, when they are silent, that's a dangerous time almost because mm. they're forming their own opinions and their own responses to, to, to life and the, the changes that are being made. And, uh, they're forming those among themselves. Uh, it, it's, it's so funny. Um, and I think I can laugh about this one now, but I got a call one day that wanted to know if the rumor was true that I was tearing down our steeple. <laughs> um, and, and the call actually came from Florida. Um, uh, and you're in Kentucky, just to yeah, remind Kentucky, people. Yeah. I doubt so, they could see the steeple from Florida. Yeah, Is that yeah. true? Okay. <laughs> no. All right. Um, but, you know, I love our steeple. I don't want it to go anywhere. One of the things I've said before is the, the, the very traditional look of our church is, can sometimes be a barrier, you know, mm-hmm. and, and it can be. But people began to talk about that among themselves to the point where it reached the status that I was I guess I'd already raised the money and was about to tear down the steeple. I, mean, I think they, I think they literally thought we had you know trucks out front with a crane, you know, and, and a wrecking ball. And none of that was true. <laughs> oh, none of it was true. I don't. I either. You know, it would be a waste of money to tear it down anyway. I mean, and it's beautiful. Yeah. It's a beautiful. Yeah. I've taken great pictures of it against the sunset. You know, it's. <laughs> we're gonna. So keep this it. was just this was just pure <laughs> fantasy that had developed. Uh, oh, absolutely. Now, and, and, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Well, simply in, in the silence, you know, uh, it wasn't silent with them. It was just silent with me. I had no idea what was going on. So what about the leader who says, okay, I'm not hearing any complaints, but it's not just silence. And obviously you're not going to hear from everybody. I get a few out of boys, out of girls. I get people saying, Hey, we love this. Does that mean that, uh, that is reflective if only what you're hearing is encouraging or should you probe deeper? I think you should always probe deeper. I think you should always be asking asking questions, especially when you're in the midst of change, uh, because change always evokes some sort of emotion. And so there's got to be some emotion out there. I think I would want to be probing what that is. And also uh, that comes somewhat with knowing who's in the room and who the players are and those sort of things. You want to make sure you're hearing from the right people, because there's some people that tell me how wonderful I'm doing every week. Now, I know those same people yeah. don't think I'm doing so wonderful, but they make sure I hear that I am, you know, every, every single week. And so you just, you, you, you've got to know who the players are and who are the really big players uh, that, how do they feel about things? And there are pockets of those. And I like to know what the different pockets are thinking. So how do you do that? Do you take them out for coffee? Do you ask them like, do you send well, them surveys? What do you do? I, a lot of different things. We don't do a lot of surveys because uh, on that type thing, but just because, especially in, in an established church where there is that passive aggression, aggression, if you give them the silent way or the quiet way, I get anonymous notes and I get stuff filled out all the time. I don't need any more of those, you know, but <laughs> I'm with uh, you on that. So I do ask key leaders, but I rely on our staff a lot for that. And in a smaller setting, I would rely on key volunteers. What are you hearing that I'm not hearing? And I yes. ask that question a lot. You know, uh, what are people saying that I'm not aware of? And I constantly am saying, I don't want to be surprised here. You know, help help me know. If I'm being an idiot, let me know before I stick my neck out too far. 
So I really rely on the people closest to me to be those, those ears for me. Those are really great questions, Ron. Um, it takes a level of security to ask those questions, though, doesn't it? Like, I, I can imagine there's some leaders who would be like, I don't think I want to know. You know, and I'll be honest, Kerry, I don't either. <laughs> you, I, mean, I mean, honestly, I don't. When, when I ask that question, I'm afraid of the answer. Yeah. Um, but I have, I have been leading long enough to know it, I'll be in more trouble if I don't know the answer now. Hmm. So if I don't know what the real problem is, then down the road, that's going to bite me more than if I know the problem today, we can go ahead and address it head on. And, and so it is a matter of, uh, I don't, I mean, we, uh, and I can laugh about this now too, but the, when we, when I first arrived, our, um, uh, finance chairman was great guy. He's one of my mm-hmm. closest friends now, but I trusted him as much as I could trust him there. But every single time his num his name popped up on my phone, my, my stomach started to turn, you yep. know? Because I okay, what I is he going to ask about now? What is he going to bring up now? And and so that's still real emotions for me now. You know, when I'm asking those type questions, mm-hmm. but I know enough to know I need to know that. The sooner I know that, the sooner we can do something about it and avoid potential problems. Because again, uh, sometimes they're rooted in falsehoods. I'm not going to tear the steeple down. You know, so <laughs> it's okay. Let, we'll, we'll be all right. Let's get through this together. You know, it's comforting because we are at the same age and stage of life, you know, within a few years of each other. But it's it's comforting for me to know that you still struggle hearing the feedback to a question like that. Because, you know, as you're telling me that, I'm like, oh, yeah, I know. But I still, it still bothers me. And maybe the difference is the leaders who do that, it's not like it never stops bothering you. You just get over it. Yeah. And you're like, I'm just going to ask it anyway. That's right. If it means I'm sad for a day, I'm sad for a day. Or if it means I got to wake up tomorrow and solve a new set of problems, well, at least I saw it coming, right? That's right. Exactly right. Say a little bit more before we move on to myth number three about what you've talked about a few times, the passive-aggressive nature of Mm -hmm. feedback in a church setting. But I'm sure that's true in business, too. I mean, you and I have both worked in the marketplace. It's not like uh, passive-aggressiveness is unique to churches. Yeah, and... You know, is if there's one thing that probably drives me crazier in leadership, it's it's that um, uh, that's one of the top four or five because um, you know I always the one thing I always say to our church I said it yesterday I only know what I know you know and I don't know any more and so uh, if if you're out there stirring all this up and one of the things I've had to do um, in in the in the first few years especially was a was really combat some of that passive aggressiveness. So let's if define I, that. What does that mean yeah. when you say passive well, aggressive? They're aggressive about me or about the change to everybody except me. Bingo. Yeah. And and and, uh, and so they're stirring all this up, and I had to address that a few times when I found out who the cause of it was, who the person stirring it up, or who the person that had that mindset. I just went and found them and said, okay, look, I realize you have this problem. Can we sit down and talk about it? Because I don't know that we're going to solve anything. To, and, 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 and again, so many times it was misinformation. It was simply mm. they did not have the right information. Um, but yeah, that, that probably destroys more churches yeah. uh, than just about anything out there. 
So what you mean is the people who are like, hi, pastor, and really nice to your face and stirring it up behind your back. All right. So that's the passive aggressive part. When you would approach them, um, hey, I heard this. We need to talk about it. What, how, did, how, did, how did they respond? Uh, it depends. Uh, sure. But yeah. m- most, of the time, most of the time, honestly, they denied that they were stirring anything up. Okay. Um, so then what do you do? Well, and it, 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 again, it, it depended on the severity of it or what I knew. Uh, in one case, I knew that a, a man was, was literally carrying a piece of paper around and showing it to people. And uh, I won't share a lot more about that. No, no. Because it, but yeah. he was literally showing people information that was false and uh, or using it falsely. Sure. And so I challenged him and said, you know, this is what I hear. In fact, I'm suspecting you've got that piece of paper right now. And uh, when I did, man, it uh, it, it changed the conversation. <laughs> You know, I mean, because he couldn't defend it anymore. He became uh, and 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 uh, again, it, it very confidential story. But he he started to cry, mm. um, and that was not my intent at all. But I, I, you know, I had caught him in in what he was doing, and he knew it. And he was a great man, and I, I want to make yeah. that clear. Yeah. Uh, he was not he's not real receptive to change, but he was a great man, and now is one of my better supporters. Exactly. So it changes that. It does. And that's why you have to do that sometimes. And as hard as that is, and, and, um, and you know, I came out of the business world, so it, it was a little, it's a little different in how I approach things sometimes knowing that, okay, when you're in the business world, you got to approach some of those things because your livelihood depends on it. Mm -hmm. But I know so many pastors that really struggle with having those difficult conversations uh, for one, their job, you know, their job might be on the line. And, and yeah. two, they, you know, they, they love people and they don't want to hurt people. And, and I get all that, but you have to look at it from the, from the perspective of what's the right thing for the church long-term and for me long-term. Am I going to be able to lead like this if everything, if, if everyone is constantly working behind me and I'm just not even able to get anything done. And so, you know, sometimes you have to have those those difficult, awkward conversations so you can get on and do the and have the better conversations down the road. I think you and I are very similar that way. My team will tell you over the years, I've been um, pretty direct. If I hear something, I'm like, I want to know who, I want to know names. Yeah. And then often where it's appropriate, I'll just go directly to the person and do exactly sure. what you said. It's like, hey, I heard that you said blah, 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 blah. And, right. you know, they, they, that's a, that freezes them in their tracks. Right. But what I found, even you mentioned some of them deny it, right? And so maybe, that's, maybe that is true, but let's just say occasionally it's not true. Do you find that even through you directly mentioning it, it shuts it up? Because I've yeah. seen that numerous yeah. times no, where people absolutely. are like, I'm not doing that, but then yeah. it goes away because yeah. they've been caught. Absolutely. Absolutely. You at least yeah. have to expose it and bring it to the surface. Absolutely. Yeah. And then the unhealthy ones, well, that's a different thing. But I find even if they deny it, it's got um, impact. Uh, that's right. And it's healthy. I mean, that's how Christians should be resolving conflict. It's Matthew 18. You go directly to the person, right. you look them in the exactly eye, and right. you go, what's going on? Yeah, because the worst thing is for me to go to somebody else besides them <laughs> and stir something. You know, And then you got two things working against each other. you got people choosing sides, and it's, it's oh. crazy. It's a mess. Well, that's good. We could camp out there for 45 minutes easily. That's only myth number two. So if I'm not hearing anyone complain, everyone must be happy. Let's jump to number three. 
I can lead everybody the same. I got my style. I just uh, fit people in there and yeah. it works. Um, yeah. Let's talk about that one. Yeah, and that's a that's a tough a tough one too. Um, you know, I think that probably took me a while to get to also and just mm-hmm. realizing that there were not getting the results from people that I was looking for. And then it took me a while to realize, okay, it's because I'm not leading them well. You know, yeah. it's not them, it's me. And so I think, you know, the bottom line for, for this myth, I can't leave it everyone the same way. I got to know my people. I got to yeah. really know who people are and how they respond to, to, uh, I, I'll give a quick example and I'm sure some of our staff will, will listen to this and, uh, our staff loves your podcast by the way. So then <laughs> I'm sure that they'll be listening, but, uh, you know, we have one of our staff members that's very detailed. I mean, just like over the top with details mm-hmm. and knowing that is great because I hand them a lot of detail stuff, you know, and, and they're great at it. Uh, but because of that, they want details from me. They want, okay, where are we going? How are we going to get, yeah. you know, they want all that. And then we have staff members that are just more, far more global, and they don't care about the details at all because they're going to make it up on their way anyway, you know. Right. <laughs> and, and so if I tried to lead both of those extremes the same way, I get very frustrated people on both ends, and and we're not effective at all. And so it really is, uh, it's so important that I continually get to know who my people are and how they're wired what they're looking for from me. And that goes back to asking them questions of what they need also. Yeah, you know, that even goes, because I've been, you know, a student of people having had to lead many over the years, but um, even motivation, you know, it's one thing to think, oh, you know what, like giving everybody a raise, that's going to motivate people. And you can get into salary creep pretty quickly. I think what was really surprising to me is that even when it comes to motivation, some people would gladly take an extra few days of vacation over a 2% pay increase. Other people, oh. other people want recognition, public sure. recognition or private affirmation. Other people want acts of service. They would rather have a dinner gift card for them and their spouse than a raise or that kind of thing. Are, does that also fit in with this myth that I can lead or reward everybody the same way? Oh, absolutely. I don't think I covered that a ton in the book, just uh, Uh, more I did with the leadership, but I I wish I had because that's exactly right. I mean, it's the second edition. Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's right. That'll be in part two. But yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, Leading as well as rewarding. Great point. Mm -hmm. Okay. Myth number four, leadership and management are the same thing. Um, Mm -hmm. Tell me, uh, tell us about the key differences and why this matters. Well, the key difference is what you want accomplished. What what yeah. are you trying to get done? And the fact is we need both. And whenever I talk about leadership and management not being the same thing, one of the other sides thinks that there's something wrong with them, you know, uh, or that one of those is wrong. And uh, specifically, when we talk about separating leadership and management, those who are geared more towards management uh think that we're putting that down because leadership's the buzzword now. Everybody wants yeah, to be yeah. a leader. Nobody's claiming to be, I want to be a really good manager. But the fact is we need both of those. I mean, I, as a leader myself, one who's wired more for leading, and I cannot stress to people who manage well how much I need them around me. I, I desperately need them. So the difference is what do you, what do you really want to accomplish? Management is, is, is more res- responsive to to what to, to what's taking place today and deals more with running things efficiently, 
where leadership is more proactive and deals with where do you want to go? What's the next step? And and so uh, I I think the words actually kind of define themselves almost, you know, uh, leadership deals with leading and management deals with managing. And and uh, I have rarely found somebody I've ran into a couple of people in my life that I felt like could excel at both of those long term. You know, like they could be yeah. great leadership and in management. Yeah. Uh, I'm admitting I can't. I mean, right. I, but as soon as we get to the place where something has to be managed, I'm all, it's already ineffective. I mean, it's mm-hmm. already messed up. <laughs> you know what? It's, it's interesting. It's, yeah, the joke on our team is that I manage self-managed people really well. Um, <laughs> I'm with you. Do leaders... Um, is it that leaders, I always define the difference as leaders create new things and managers manage what's already built. That that's pretty much, pretty similar, much. similar yeah, vein. Absolutely. So do leaders by definition create chaos and then move on? Is that what we do? I think so. Mm-hmm. Uh, not Well, I don't know about move on, but certainly create chaos. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. They, and then go create chaos. We disrupt. So we just, disrupt yeah, the status yeah, quo. Because... When you think leading, you're thinking change. You're yes. thinking new. You're thinking next. I mean, you're just naturally thinking that. When you think about managed, you're thinking about the opposite of chaos. What is organized and mm. structured and systematic, and uh, and who would not want that to run well? Yeah. Um, you know, I, I think I'll probably end up being a champion for managers in in the rest of my life, you know, I'm going to start a new, a new blog that's going to be just for managers because I think they get a bad rap these days. Yeah. And we've got some in our church that are just tremendous at managing things and making things just work and, um, and at reducing chaos and reducing friction. And, um, and man, we need those people, especially around people like me. So what happens when you only have leaders and not enough managers? Well, you have a, you have a million ideas and nothing gets accomplished. Mm. And uh, that's one. And, uh, and you mentioned the word chaos. You have a, just a, a lot of frustrated, upset people, um, and including the leaders, because yeah. they're looking around saying, why is this not done yet? I spoke. How come it didn't happen? Absolutely. Right. There's my mm-hmm. position again, you know, that positional <laughs> leadership. But yeah, yeah, it's, it's just, um, it's a mess. And yeah. uh, we, we really can create messes. And, you know, we do that in our personal lives, too. I, I'm, uh, I'm married to a manager. I mean, she's, mm-hmm. she's wonderful at, at just structure of life and that sort of thing. And she would be the first to tell you, I stretch her. Yeah. Um, and, and that's a good thing, you know, that, that, uh, that I do, but it's also a good thing that she kind of brings some sensibility to our, to our life too, you know, and said, you know, we really need a night at home, you know, and yeah. brings that back a little bit. So what happens when you have an organization that has a lot of managers, but maybe is light on leadership? You have well-written policies and procedures and mm-hmm. lots of rules, um, but it is a boring, uh, stoic, um, lacking vision type of, of organization. It, it becomes a bureaucracy, right? It, it becomes does. what, what Les McEwen calls treadmill. Um, yeah. you're just on this treadmill. 
Yeah. Well, and to, and to give you an example, we came, this was a very well-managed organization of this yeah. church. And we had over a hundred pages in our policy manual, you know, <laughs> uh, somebody, uh, they asked me to sign right after I came, you know, that I'd read it. I said, look, I don't mind signing this if you just need a signature, but I'm never going to read this thing. You know, <laughs> <laughs> It's way too long for me. I don't care because I'm not going to follow it anyway. So I don't yeah, know why. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. I know that, you know, I went to law, I'm a law school grad, yeah. a lawyer originally. I never read contracts because I'm not going to, you know, I, yeah, yeah, I guess the publishing one I read, but you know, it's like, oh, well, whatever, you know, we'll just fight it if we need to, you know, sure. <laughs> you define your own reality. That's why we right. have attorneys, isn't it? That's right. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so, okay, that's a really good distinction. How uh, do you think we have a lot of people who are managers because leadership is the buzzword who think they're leaders? Do you think that's a danger in our culture? I do. And the, and, and the other also, you know, we have, mm. we have leaders who are in management positions and, yeah. uh, yeah, absolutely. And I, I think it's, um, I, I see a lot of, of churches when I, when I talk to churches, especially churches who, uh, uh who are looking for a, a pastor and I will ask, uh, ask a lot of times, okay, what are you looking for? And try to differentiate between that manager leader type. And man, I, I see a lot of churches make that mistake too, of, of what they really wanted was somebody, Hey, I want you to preach. And I want you to visit, but I, we're going to run the place. Yeah, you know? we, we need a manager. We need a chaplain. Yeah. We, yeah. Right. Yeah. We don't it's, want a leader. Yeah, and it's dangerous. Yeah. Mm. Helpful. Myth number five. I don't know whether this one was ever a myth in my mind or not, but I get it. Uh, being the leader makes me popular. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to be popular all the time. <laughs> I've, I've had great seasons of unpopularity oh, yeah. <laughs> in my you leadership. Know, I, and and I see that with a lot of young leaders too, where yeah. and, and we talk about when you come in and you can run pretty fast in the early days because people are you know excited and hey the new person's here and all that and I don't you know I, I'm I, I think it's a myth these days of having a honeymoon period I don't believe we have that as much anymore Ooh, because because change happens so fast these days yeah. that 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 I just don't know that that traditional honeymoon period is as honeymoon as it used to be. But, uh, that, that being said at the same time, I think you can come in and, and massage things early on because people are expecting a little bit of that, you know, a little bit of change, but, um, but man, it's a, it's a mistake to believe that that early inertia is going to translate long-term. Yeah. That you're going to be able to continue to move at that pace at that, uh, you know, they're still going to be excited about the, because what happens is, and you know, this too, we hit those areas, those sacred cows or whatever you want to call them, those areas that nobody told you about that you can't change. Mm. And, uh, and, and man, then you see the real, you know, the real side. Um, and you know, in my first church, and I think this story may be in the book and, and uh, it'll it may come back to bite me because you you know how uh, when you wrote these stories I, in, when you're uh, I had some stories in my in my book and they wanted the person to sign off on them I don't know if you had oh that. yeah <laughs> and, and I'm like there's no way they're signing off on this I mean there's no <laughs> way I promise they would but uh, so we changed some of the facts and you know that's, that's what I usually do it becomes yeah. a story or else the person passed away and so yeah. it's like okay well that's fair game. Yeah. So then you, you can do it. But, 
you know, boy, I found that out in my first uh, church of how mm. we were so popular and, and just saw God doing some things. But then I crossed the wrong line. Yeah. And uh, man, it was it was it was terrible after that and uh, miserable. Yeah. And so, you know, that uh, you're only as popular as your as your last change they didn't agree with, you know. So. <laughs> so true, Ron. So you got a lot of leaders listening right now who are discouraged, who are in a season of unpopularity or, you know, honeymoon. Gosh, there's never been a honeymoon. Right. Um, how have you moved through seasons of, of unpopularity to be leading at this stage in your life with enthusiasm and joy and hope? Like, how did you get through it? Well, we've had... I don't know how many of those seasons um, since we've been here, especially the first few years. I've told people that this is honestly, and I, I have been a self-employed business owner, uh, making payroll and all that, you know, before I came into the business world. I used to get cussed out every single day in the business world. I was in the construction field for a while. And uh, the first three years here were the hardest three years of my career. Wow. Uh, Transitioning and, a traditional church. Oh, absolutely. No doubt wow. about it. And, and we, you know, we just wondered, okay, we're going to make it a year. We're going to make it two years. We're going to make it three years. And so it was, it was hard. And I remember that you and I had some conversations at that time. And and even saying that, and you know, I even looked at some other opportunities, you know, Mm -hmm. I I did, I I set foot in other, uh, other buildings to interview for other, you know, I just (laughs) said, okay, maybe this is what God's doing. But, um, and and all that saying, and if our church listens to this, the vast majority were wonderful people and supportive and all that. Uh, it doesn't feel that way at the time. You have no. to look back on that. But at the time, it feels like the whole world is against you. But, you know, for me, um, I, I have to keep going back to the to the vision and to why God has us here and what we're trying to accomplish and that okay, when we get there, this will be worth it. And then at the same time, I have to have, and, and I say this to, to young pastors sometimes, I have to have a few people in my corner that believe in me. Yeah. And and not that just are yes people or people that I trust that would call me if I was being arrogant and just flippant. And yet uh, they they trust and they, they believe in me enough to, to say, okay, you can make this. This is you're you're going to be okay. We're in this together. I shortly after I came here, I did um, uh, a message. I mean, I think I maybe been here a year or something, and uh, when Mo, uh, I did a message where Moses and he had to hold up his staff, and the men yeah. came and held it up for him. And I, I did that message, and I remember saying to to the church at that time, "Look, if this is going to work, I've got to have some people that will come and ho- help hold the staff." You know. And it really encouraged some people. And to the point, if I remember uh, correctly, we had a few guys come up on the stage, you know, <laughs> and because I had a staff with me and just like, they're going to take over, you know, and that was so That's encouraging, awesome. you know, because I think some of them got it. Um, and, and there was another season where I literally said to some of our key leaders, I said, one thing that I think is going to keep us from going to that next level, from really being, um, a a vibrant church for another hundred years, which is kind of our mantra. When we came here, that's what we wanted Mm -hmm. to do was take a hundred year old church and position it to grow another hundred years. And, uh, I remember saying to some people, one thing that, that it'll keep us from doing that is we don't have people when somebody's grandstanding in a meeting, Mm 
or somebody's being passive aggressive and stirring it up, we don't have enough people that will stand up to them other than me mm. that, that will that will say, OK, look, but we know this is tough, but he's our guy right now. We're behind him and we're going to be through this. We're going to get through this together. There weren't enough of those people early on willing to 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 take a stand. And um, and so I had to challenge that. OK, are you with me or not? Are is are you are you t- here or not? Now, if I'm the bad guy. Right. And one of the things, you know, and, and one of the things I kept saying is I wanted to be humble, but purposeful. So if if I'm if I'm just terrible then you tell me that, you know, and and you correct me. But if I if you feel like I'm doing the right thing, then get behind me. Stand with me because we we I can't do this alone. And and I, I said that a lot, you know, and Jesus went into the garden and said, hey, I need you here. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. he fell asleep again. Come on. Yeah, can't you just be with me for at least an hour? So, Ron, that's really, really good stuff. And you know what? I just want to encourage leaders, you know, do that. Because if you get zero support, you pretty much know the jig is up anyway. What are you going to lose in that, yeah. right? Like that's, if nobody absolutely. rallied around you, if nobody came around you and Cheryl, your wife, and right. nobody said like your elders, yeah. your staff, if, they, if right. you, you know, I've always said it's over as soon as you the senior leaders in the organization lose confidence in you. Anytime yep. I've advised people, like if you can't, even with your handful of board members, that handful right. of inner staff, your circle, your inner circle, if you don't have their confidence, it's game over. doesn't Absolutely. matter whether you're right and they're wrong. You can't That's lead. You've lost the authority to lead. And, and I think a lot of people would discover there's probably more support than they realize. That's right. So, Once you start asking for it. That's exactly yeah, right. That's great. Um, okay. <laughs> Myth number six, leaders must have charisma and be extroverts. I used to be an extrovert when I started ministry, you know? <laughs> <laughs> it kind of pushes you back, doesn't it? <laughs> it does. I just did a Myers-Briggs. Apparently, I still have extrovert memory. I'm still on the east side, but I behave far more like an introvert, hiding well, from the world. <laughs> yeah. And, and I'm a, you know, I am definitely an, an, an introvert. And I have even had people tell me when I'm blogged about this before. You have no business pastoring a church as an introvert. I mean, I, I've had people say that to Really? Me. They, yeah. They'll, they'll, oh, yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, well, that's fine. You know, you. I, I, but I love people. You know, I really yes, do, do, even as an introvert mm-hmm. and, uh, and love to see people mature and see people grow. I mean, so I really do. So that's the heart check for me is, is my heart still desiring for people to, to grow and that sort of thing. But yeah, you know, it it certainly probably would be easier sometimes to be an extrovert. Um, but you know, as well as I do, some of the larger churches that we know of have very introverted pastors, profoundly Um, introverted and, and leaders. And that always surprises people. In fact, it surprises people when when they find out that I'm introverted when when they first get to know me because on Sunday I'm the most extroverted person in the building. You know, mm-hmm. I I go to work, and I'll say to a lot of introverted pastors, "Look, don't use that as a crutch or an excuse." And I used to do that, uh, notoriously did that when I first got into ministry leadership, of trying to disappear, and I would even I would even throw it under the the disguise of being humble. I didn't want to take, you know, I didn't want to look like I'm bigger than life or whatever. But uh, the fact is, I just wanted to escape. Um, but, <laughs> yes. but, pe- but people need 
they do need human attention and touch. You know, my wife does. She's extroverted. Hmm. And, and so I don't have a right. And I talk to pastors about that, too. And past, I've talked to some pastors, spouses who say, OK, their their uh, their their husband or their wife is so extroverted at church that when they get home, they have nothing to give. And so they don't give hmm. anything. We can't give that excuse either. You know, we we have to be extroverted at times and we have to give our family something. So we have to learn how to balance that and all that sort of stuff, obviously. But, you know, Carrie, I actually think introversion works well for me too, leading mm-hmm. a large church. How so? Uh, well, I don't stick my foot in my mouth very much. Uh, <laughs> yeah. You know, I don't say the first it's thing true. comes to my mind. Uh uh, sometimes I'll sit in a in a meeting or in a room, and I'm the last one to talk, um, <laughs> and and that happens a lot. In fact, I delegate leading staff meetings to other staff members. I've done that for years, and it gives me a chance to sit back, acclimate to the room, prepare my thoughts, and what am I going to say? And that works very well for me because when I do, then I'm very strategic about what I am saying, yeah. and so I've I've taken the time to 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 think it through and. Um, and, and it also allows me to lead without being the center of attention. And, and so, um, I, you know, I think, um, if you want a chance to rise as a leader mm-hmm. un- here in our environment, you can do that because I'm not going to always be the one to, to be a spokesman. Uh, we, right. we have, we have lots of, uh, now obviously I'm very visible in the church, but we have lots of times where we have meetings or public meetings where I'm in the room and don't say a word. And, mm-hmm. and, uh, and I think that, um, I actually, and again, that's not a false humility necessarily. And yet it, it does. Um, uh, I've heard a number of people in our church who are impressed with the fact that I don't have to have something to say. So. What about the charisma piece? Um, cause some of these, you mentioned some very large church leaders that we both know who are profoundly introverted in life, but they are charismatic on stage. Mm-hmm. Do you have to have a charismatic stage presence or like, how does that work in your mind? You know, I don't think so. If you think about, yeah. um, I hate to call a pastor out, you know, yeah. that we all know that, that there's no charisma there, but you know, some of the, some of the speakers or pastors that I think uh, w- that I would glean from are, yeah. are, are almost monotone in their delivery, you know, yeah. uh, uh, but they have such great content, you know, and they such great credibility that they just sort of, well, I, well, I will, I will say one. I, I, Tim Keller's not just over the top charisma. I wouldn't, Fair. I wouldn't, you know, uh, yep. and yet I listen, I listen to him all the time. <laughs> I know? wish all of his sermons were available publicly Ab- for free. Ab- I know. I think yeah. he's a great example, you know, that, that yeah, you listen, there isn't a flash to him, there isn't a whole lot of buzz, it's just so compelling and so engaging. He's one of my absolute favorite preachers. I think he's a great example. John Piper, you know, is, yeah. is, an, is another one, and, uh, and man, I'm, I, you know, if I'm trying to research something or how am I going to land on an issue, I'm going to Google their names and see where they landed, Exactly. Know, if I can, so... Okay, well, that you know what? That's pretty convincing on that because uh, I think a lot of us feel we have to have, you know, and, and what's nice is you get the sense with both Piper and Keller that what you see is what you get, right? right. That there's, there's an integrity and an authenticity there. And fortunately, they've done their homework and That's they right. actually have something to say. And because they have something to say, you listen. 
It's good. Okay, final myth. Number seven, leaders accomplish things by controlling other people. (laughs) Uh, Leadership tends to attract its share of control freaks. Um, So talk to us about accomplishing things by control or uh, learning another pattern. Yeah, it's, you know, frankly, just being candid here, this could easily be me. And it mm. and it and it probably is at a certain level. If I'm if I'm not careful, um, I'm a high D on the disc. Right. Uh, I'm, I'm one of my top strengths and I'm high D with nothing else. I had a guy <laughs> that I had a guy that was uh, looking at mine one time who who works with this. Um, and he said, you'll run over people, won't you? And I said, yeah, if I'm not careful, I really will. And yeah. um, uh, control is how my strengths finder. So I could, I could fall into that very easily. If there's not a leader in the room, I'll step up and take over. You know, yeah. uh, if it's not going anywhere and, you know, uh, I, I said I don't lead all our staff meetings. It's very hard for me to sit there when when we're spinning wheels, you know, and not. Just, <laughs> but do you have that tendency either you're going to take over, or you're going to walk out because that's. Yeah. Me. I'll yeah, either I, like I'll hijack it or I'm going to leave because I can't yeah. be here anymore. Yeah. yeah. Or I'm going to get on my iPad and write the next blog post. Yeah, exactly. You know, yeah, yeah. That, there's also that option too. Yeah, I'll just empty true. my inbox. Okay. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> so, so that is me. And so it's, it's, yeah. it's very, very real to me, but it, you know, to believe that that is effective or that gets the, the mm. most done is, is just is crazy. And how many times have we seen that in a, in a leader where they just are trying to dictate everything that takes place around them? So let me, uh, let me ask you a, a refining question because you've been in the startup world in business, the startup world in church. Is there an exception to that in the startup days when you're yes, launching absolutely. something that's very small? Does it need to have your fingerprints on everything? It does. And there, and it's, and that continues on uh, at yeah. different seasons. So, for example, we have a new executive pastor just started May 1st. He's tremendous, and he's going to just be a superstar for us, and we're super excited. In the early days, he probably, and I, I've even said this to him, he probably feels I'm micromanaging him to a certain point, you know, right. that, that I am uh, saying no more than I'm saying yes. But he's trying to learn us, and he's right. trying to figure out the culture of our church and and. He's he hit the ground running. He's ready to go. And yet I'm having to kind of curtail a little bit to make sure we don't hijack everything we've got going and, you know, uh, call. But that's not your long term game plan. No, 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 no. And he knows that, right? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, in the early days of anything or anyone, there are certain things that need for another example is uh, and I I think we're a almost at the point where I will say this is not the case, but we've been here five years, uh, almost to, to custodial services. I have signed off on everyone we've hired in this building. Uh, and we have a a large staff and, and that is, uh, because we are trying to create a new culture different from the one that was here before. And uh, I just have to know we're getting the right people there. And yeah. I, and I, and I don't say this arrogantly or anything else, but I know where I'm, I know what I'm looking for there. And so we have, uh, that doesn't mean I've sat and interviewed and I've done all that. I've, but they have, uh, even to the, you know, administrative people, uh, I've signed off before we brought that person in. And, um, 
And I think that now, now they're at the point, okay, I see what we're looking for here. Gotcha. Yeah, and once you have that DNA cemented or shaped to the point that you want it shaped, you can lean off a little bit depending on where that person is in the organization. For the people in startup world, uh, whether that's church or business, is like what is the level? Because I know a lot of leaders, you know, their church might be five or six hundred, but they're still trying to do everything themselves, and they're trying to be everywhere and everyone. How do you know this is the time where you've got to start backing off and letting other people lead? Well, I I had that conversation last week with a um, there's a church and they're at, they're literally you said the number they're running five hundred and yeah. this sol- and single staff person. He's the only right staff right now. So very capable, gifted person has to be to run something Absolutely. that big solo. A- yeah. Absolutely. And you've got you've to uh, give uh, credit for that. But uh, he's probably about 250 over what he should have been. <laughs> His you know? limit, yeah. And, and uh, you know, I, I think when, when you start to, to – um, when you start to feel your own tension of, of getting – work done and getting quality work done. And okay, you start to feel burdened yourself of how, how this is, uh, you're just managing your own life, you know, leading your own life. Um, I think you need to look for those signs, but I also think letting other people look for those. For me, that's my wife. Um, uh, one of those, I have other people in my life, but my wife is very, is very good at seeing when I'm taking on more uh, than I should really be doing. And I have to give her that a little bit of that credit. My wife has actually uh, contacted the person who keeps my calendar and say, schedule him some time out. You know, <laughs> um, good. we're going to go somewhere. And so, uh, you know, I think um, I really think there's a because some of us lead um, and I won't even say some some people lead at higher levels. You know, they, mm-hmm. they're just able to lead more. They're able to to, to navigate through life with more on their plate and that sort of thing. I think you have to know yourself and what you're able to do, but I think you have to be very honest about that. And as soon as yeah. you start to, to slow in your effectiveness in certain areas, it's time to say, okay, what can I give away? What can I, um, what can I uh, push aside? Who, who out there can, can take over? And, and, you know, as well as I do, that starts much earlier than the handing off of it. Because by the time you need to hand them something off, if you don't have somebody ready to hand something off to, you're out of growth room until until you get somebody, which onboard somebody and they understand your DNA and they know where you're going. By the time that takes, you've wasted a lot of of energy in getting there. No, I I couldn't agree more. You know, just having developed the new Breaking 200 Without Breaking You course. Uh, It's one of the things that I spent several sessions just explaining that that is going to be one of your biggest growth limiters. Like real control freaks never grow anything big. Oh, that's right. I mean, you you have a large church, you have a large staff. I mean, it's a tendency you have to check in your spirit and I have to check in my spirit too. But I mean, you're going to be 150 or 200 people if you're an average leader, if you're a control freak. And if you're this guy who grew it to 500, well, that's great, but that's just not sustainable. You're going to burn out or your church is going to shrink back. One of the two. There's only two just, options. We just did that. Just this bringing in the executive pastor, we redid our organizational structure. And so now we actually have two executive pastors. We changed another title. So one yeah. leads ministries and one leads everything else. And those are the only two people that report to me now. So we just changed that just in the last hmm. 90 days. Wow. 
Well, this is this is so good, Ron. And there's a whole lot more in the book. And I mean, we took this all over the place. It's called The Mythical Leader, and it's available anywhere you get books. That's right. Yeah. All right. Great. And where can people find you? It's just so easy. Just stick with the name RonEdmondson.com or just Google Ron Edmondson because you'll find all my Twitter and Facebook and all those uh, are there. And even my email, RonEdmondson at Gmail. So it's I try to make it easy. Great. You just gave your email away publicly? All right. I did. Yeah. You're a good man. You're a good man. You're a brave I have man. Good filters. <laughs> Ron, uh, I so enjoy your leadership and your friendship. And I know you've helped uh, just a lot of leaders today. And just want to say thank you. And congrats on the book. We're looking forward well, to number two. Thanks. And keep doing what you're doing. You're making a difference. Thanks, man. Ron is just so wise, isn't he? I mean, I love the time I, I spend with him and I learn so much from him. And you're probably going to want some of the links that we talked about. And if you do, just go to the show notes. Go to kerryneuhoff.com slash episode 159. Or if you can't spell that, which I understand, go to leadlikeneverbefore.com, click on blog or the little search window and hit Ron's name, just Ron Edmondson. And you'll find the show notes right there. I'm so excited to be able to deliver those to you. And anything we talk about in this episode, all the links are right there. So don't forget, if you haven't checked out Breaking 200 Without Breaking You, man, I'm so pumped about that. And thanks to trainedup.church and futureforwardconference.com for being partners on this podcast. We are back next week with a fresh episode. In fact, I've been excited about this one for a while. I've benefited from Henry Cloud's research and teaching and books and and talks for for years. And uh, we sat down and had a wild and free-ranging conversation. It was actually a lot of fun. Here's a snippet. And so when you got somebody that comes to the leadership table, they say, just to inform you guys, you know, I've had Susie on this performance kind of standard thing for six months because of the way she was treating people and we finally had to let her go. And you know, everybody knows about it. And okay, so next item. <laughs> but you have a lot of churches and that that executive team level is going to be dealing with the Susie problem three levels down. And Susie's coworkers should have dealt with that before the boss. But in order to do that, you've got to be developing a culture of accountability with each other, of supporting each other, of how do I not live in my silo? How can I come over and help you? And it's about organizational organizational health. So if you find yourself dealing with problem people 80% of the time, you're not leading. I completely enjoyed Henry Cloud. I got to tell you. So again, if you subscribe, you'll get that automatically uh, on your device by next Tuesday when it releases. And I would encourage you to do that. I only ever listen to the podcast I subscribe to. Do you find yourself doing the same thing? Because you're like, oh yeah, I'm going to read that. I'm going to listen. And then you forget. And But if it's on your phone, you're heading out on a bike ride or to the gym or whatever. And, and maybe that's where you find yourself today, listening in. Um, best way to do it is to subscribe. Thank you to all these subscribers for these first three years. We are approaching 5 million downloads. So stay tuned. Some love is coming your way when we hit that, maybe in a month or two. And uh, in the meantime, thanks so much for listening. I really, really do hope that today's episode has helped you lead like never before. You've been listening to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast. Join us next time for more insights on leadership, change, and personal growth to help you lead like never before.